Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. Even the most optimized workday, even the most efficient person still has a limited amount of things that they can do. You know, some people maybe can get more done in a day than others, but they still can only get a certain amount done in a day. And so a lot of times to grow and scale and expand your business, you need other people so that you can utilize their bandwidth. And then, you know, obviously if you add everyone's bandwidth together, you can do quite a bit more than you can do individually. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you showing up for another Q&A replay. Guys, I do a live Q&A with you guys, my listeners, with anybody who follows me on Facebook. If you go to Just Start Real Estate on Facebook every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, I answer your questions live for free. Obviously, it's Facebook, right? So I do that as uh, as something that I just love doing, honestly, but I want to help out. I want to answer questions. I want people to be able to move forward in their business. And so I do this for you every Wednesday. You got to show up to ask questions live, but I do think it's valuable. And if you can't make it for whatever reason, I replay it here because I think the questions and the interaction that we have on that Q&A is super valuable. And you can be a little bit of a fly on the wall if you're listening here on my podcast. This was a fun episode. Uh, one of the things we talked about, among others, was when is the right time to grow and expand your business? How do you know it's the right time? Uh, another thing we had a discussion about was uh, somebody asked uh, what things you can say to a seller when they say that they're considering listing the property with an agent. So you can go uh, and, and get that, you know, get that question. I get that question a lot, and you can find the answer out in this episode. Uh, somebody else asked that you know they want to do over a million dollars in in uh, in revenue this year, and they want to know if four people is an adequate number of people to get that done. They currently have four people on their team, and they were talking, "Do we need more? How does that look?" We also discussed a little bit. Somebody asked a question about Fiverr and how does that play into my business? Do I utilize them? How do I keep people employed? How do I keep people happy? Uh, we did that. We talked a little bit about direct mail marketing and what that looks like and whether or not you should use postcards or letters. And so, and on and on. There were more questions, more things, but that was some of the highlights. It was a lot of fun. I think there was a lot of good stuff shared here. And I think you guys are going to enjoy this. So I give you my latest Facebook Q&A. Okay, we are live. How's everyone doing today? I hope you are ready to ask questions. I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, we do this, as you know, every single week at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, and I'm here to answer your questions. So if you are here with me live, I know I do replay this on my podcast, Just Start Real Estate, and uh, it sits here live on my page for a while. But if you're here and able to jump in and ask questions, I will prioritize your questions. I get sent questions throughout the week. Uh, people reach out, they want to know stuff. And so I curate that. I, I kind of 
hold it uh, for the week, and then we answer them here live on on this um, on this page, so you all can benefit from hearing the answers. Maybe you have these questions as well, and I'm going to answer them. But if you're here live and you want to ask me something, then uh, I will push your question to the top of the list, and we'll get going on that, and we can have a little exchange. Um, so I do have questions, but I just want to say, guys, if you, you know, it's the new year, most people have made new year's resolutions or 90 day goals or however you do it. But it's a time of the year where people think about getting things started or getting things back on track or trying things again or trying something brand new. I get that. And for you guys who are the people who would most likely be listening to this, it has to do with real estate. It has to do with maybe growing your business and taking it a little more seriously in 2022. It could be starting your business uh, in 2022. Maybe you tried it in the past and it didn't quite go the way you wanted it to and you stopped and you want to restart it. Maybe you already have a business and it's going really, really well, but you just want to take it to the next level. You want to really, really supercharge what you're already doing. And there's some gaps in, in how to do that, like in, in your knowledge of how to do that. You don't know how to do it. So, if you fall into one of those categories, specifically, if you've got a small business now and you really want to ramp it up, I have been able to, over the last decade, uh, build my business, learn a lot from trial and error, making mistakes, spending money on stuff and trying to figure things out on my own. And then about five or six years ago, it started clicking. I started surrounding myself with the right people. And I did some very specific things that I can show you if you want to take your business to be a seven-figure business, to be a business that's really generating significant income and revenue for you and your family and your loved ones. If you want to start taking that very, very seriously, and you just aren't exactly sure how to do that, I am here for you. In 2022, I want to help you do that. All you have to do is go to sevenfigureinvestor.com. Now, that's the word seven, not the number seven. The word seven, figure investor. Com. Go check that out. Sign up. We're getting started soon. We're going to help a ton of people this year. And I want you to be one of them. I definitely want you to be one of them. And I know that I can help you, but you have to, you have to take that step. You have to go to the page, sign up and be part of it. And then we'll get you in and we'll help you get to your goals. So sevenfigureinvestor.com, go check it out. Okay. Tonight, I'm going to answer these questions that I have in front of me. Um, but again, if you're here live and you have questions, ask them and I will prioritize you and we'll have a conversation. Okay, first question. Uh, when do you know it's the right time to expand your business? It's a really good question. And, and this could be a topic that, you know, we could, I could talk about this for an hour, but I'm not going to talk for an hour. But here's, here's what I would say to somebody if they don't know if it's the right time to expand their business. First of all, what are the goals? Like, are the goals to be bigger than what you are? And I know sometimes people have, you know, they start a business like real estate, they're flipping a couple of houses and it's very comfortable. They're very good at it. They're making a really good second income, maybe even a first income. And it's all going great, but they see people who are doing a lot more and they decide that they should be doing a lot more. And it's not based off of what they really want. It's more based off of, kind of keeping up with the Joneses and just sort of keeping up with people around you and having a little bit of, you know, envy of somebody else's business or lifestyle. And that's not the right reason to expand. But if your goal was always to be bigger than what you are, and you're just not sure when to like start taking those steps, I would say the right time to do it, you know, there's a, there's a term that a friend of mine, Andy McFarlane um, taught me and he's, he said, you know, first you nail it, then you scale it. And so 
if you already have nailed it and you want to scale it, then that's the time. But if you have just gotten into real estate, for example, and you've only done one deal and you sort of don't know what you're doing yet, like that's not the time to expand. That's the time to get your feet under you a little bit, understand what you're doing, try to get some things down pat, some processes, and just sort of understand the mechanics of the business that you actually have before you scale it. But once you've sort of nailed where you are and you feel comfortable and you've got that handled, then it then it's time to expand if that's your ultimate goal is to expand, right? So if you're you know, running a business right now, a house flipping business, for example, and last year you made $100,000, but you really want to get to a million, then, then now's the time. You've, you made some money last year. You did, depending on where you are, you know, $100,000 in some markets is you know, four or five deals. In other markets, it's one deal or two deals. I get that, right? So if you've done a handful of deals already and you want to, to take it to the next level and you sort of know what you're doing, then that's the time to expand. Like I'm never going to tell somebody like wait too long because I, I don't think there's really, the, waiting is a lot of time an excuse or another way of saying I'm afraid. And so, you know, I, I'm always about getting out there and expanding if that's really what you want to do. M my only caution is, just really ask yourself what you want and do you really want a bigger business that you have than you have? And you're asking the question. So I assume that you do want a bigger business. And if that's the case, then maybe now's the time to expand like right now, but expanding, you know, when you start a, a business, any business, real estate's this, no different. When you start a business and, and you, you get it off the ground and you start having some success 99 times out of 100, it's like, it's you, you're doing it. Like you're driving leads, you're talking to the sellers or you're talking to the wholesalers, you're getting the deals under contract, you're flipping them or you're wholesaling them and you sort of sit in every single seat. And that's great. But what it takes to <clears throat> expand and grow is for you to not do everything. And that's a huge leap. It's a huge chasm that people have to try to figure out how to get across because it's one thing to get really good at, at being in the business and doing the work that is necessary to make the money. It's a completely different skill set, a completely different mindset, and a completely different set of challenges to build a team around you that allows you to scale. Because even the most optimized workday, even the most efficient person still has a limited amount of things that they can do. You know, some people maybe can get more done in a day than others, but they still can only get a certain amount done in a day. And so a lot of times to grow and scale and expand your business, you need other people so that you can utilize their bandwidth. And then, you know, obviously if you add everyone's bandwidth together, you can do quite a bit more than you can do individually. And so bring that team in, creating the right culture, bringing in the right people. I was listening to something today uh, from Simon Sinek. It was just a short little video clip. And essentially he said he went and visited the, the uh, Navy SEALs and he asked them like for your most elite, elite groups, right? Like SEAL Team 6, how do you decide who is on SEAL Team 6? How do you decide who's the best of the best? And they drew him a diagram. And on one side of the diagram, it was, skill and ability. And the other on the bottom, right along the, the Y axis, I guess it would be, it was trust. How much do they trust that person? And, and it may be another way of thinking of that. He said was like their values and what kind of a person they are. And he said, 
obviously they would like ultimately to have the person with the highest skill and the highest amount of trust, right? So if you can imagine a diagram, it'd be like top right side of the diagram. And they said, but if we have to choose or we have to compromise at all, we're always going to compromise on the skill set and never want to compromise on the level of trust they have with that person. And so when you're building a company, it's, it's really the same way. You don't, because if you have someone, and this is what Simon was saying, if you have someone with a high skill set, but low trust factor, that's a toxic person. That's a bad person for a, a, the military, for a business, for anything, right? And I, I've made that mistake. I've hired the high skill set, low trust, and they were a toxic person in my company. And so you have to really look at that and values matter. So when you're hiring values play a part in that. And how much do you trust this person? How much do they mesh with your team? How much will everyone else trust them? And then if you have to take someone with slightly less skill set because you don't want to compromise the values, that's that's exactly how you should do it, right? So you didn't ask that about hiring, but I just want to make that point. It, growing and expanding, a lot of it is people. And who do you bring in to help you? And what does that look like? So, um, but I think, you know, the right time is, is when you're ready. It, it's not when the market is a certain way or when there's a certain president in charge or, you know, none of that. It's like, are you ready to grow? Is your ultimate grow, uh, goal to be a larger company than you are now? And if the answer is yes to that, then what are you waiting for? Like, do it now. Because in 10 years, you can look back and say, I wish I would have done it. Or you can look back and say, I, I'm glad that I did do it because that was the time. Because the time is... You know, usually when you start asking these questions, that's when it's time, honestly. Okay, Nick is back. My buddy Nick is back again. All right, Nick. Hey, man, what's up? His question, what things can you say to a seller when they say they are considering listing the property with an agent? Honestly, what we say is good. Go ahead. You should do that. You should absolutely do that. However, what that agent is going to do for me is he's going to test the market. And when he puts that out on the MLS and it doesn't sell for what you think it's going to sell for, or it doesn't sell as fast as what you think it's going to sell, or the market turns while it's on the, while it's on the MLS, and maybe the market isn't quite as hot, I'm going to change my number. My number will not stay the same if you come back to me because I already know you tried to go and maximize your, your profits or whatever, your sale price on the MLS. And that realtor is telling me by whether or not you come back to me, you're telling me too that it didn't work. You can't sell it on the MLS for what you want or in the time frame that you want or whatever the case may be. Or maybe you put it on the MLS and you got the price you want, but they want you to do a bunch of repairs and you don't have the money or you don't want to do that, right? All those things can happen. And when those things happen, if they happen, and I hope they don't, all right, I'm talking to the seller. I hope they don't. I hope you sell it. But if it doesn't sell and you come back to me, my number is going to be lower because you just, told, you just proved the market for me and it's not great for your property, for whatever reason, or it's not great for you, the terms and whatever you were able to get on the MLS. So, you know, to answer that question too, Nick, to let you know the truth, a lot of times when we go into houses, uh, our acquisitions folks is they'll look around and they'll say, Hey, Mr. Mr. Seller, this is it's a nice house. Why not list it on the MLS? Like we throw it out there before they even have a chance because if they say, Oh, wow, I never thought of that. Maybe that's what I'll do. Like that never happens. That's never happened in the history of any company going into a house and saying, why don't you put this on the MLS? Everyone knows about the MLS. The reason they called you most likely is because they can't list it on the MLS. And by the way, if they can list it on the LMLS because the house is in great shape, 
all the repairs have been done. They have all kinds of time to wait. They're in no rush to sell. They don't have a really good reason to sell. They just want to test the market and put on the MLS. If that's the case, you're never going to buy the house anyway. You're never. We don't buy from people like that. We can't. We buy from people who need to sell their house fast for a fair price, for cash, right? They have life situations, death, um, divorce, job loss, job transfer, downsizing, whatever, right? All these reasons that drive people's motivation to sell to us as investors, like it has to be there. And so if someone says, I think I'm just going to list on the MLS and you say, okay, um, you know, how, how soon do you need to sell? And they say, well, you know, I don't care if we don't sell for the next 10 years, you're dead in the water as a, as a, as a buyer, in my opinion, you're, you're probably not going to sell that house. There's no motivation at all. Now they could be, they could be lying to you. They could be saying that because they don't want to like tell you what their real issue is. That just means you haven't spent enough time with them talking to them and trying to discover what challenges they're facing that made them call you in the first place. But if they truly don't have a motivation and they can put it on the MLS and it can sit there for as long as it needs to, and they don't have any repairs that have to be made and they don't need it to be fast. Like if they don't need us, we're not going to probably buy it. So I say, tell them, go for it. hundred percent, go for it. But if you come back to me, I'm going to lower my price because I know you can't sell it on the MLS. So you just sort of made my job a little bit easier. Politely, right? You say it nicely. Okay. Uh, next one is from Bob. What's up, Bob, my buddy. Hopefully I'm going to see you guys, by the way, in the next couple of weeks or next week, next week, actually, right. Our event is next week. Um, Bob, it's our goal to do 1.2 million this year with our team of four stateside team members. How many people are on your team currently? It's a great question. And that's about, you know, that's in the neighborhood of what we're doing too. So we have me, uh, my partner, who's doing most of our sales. We have a dispositions person. We have a lead manager or like a lead intake person who kind of plays like, you know, traffic cop to our leads. We have a, a junior salesperson or someone who kind of handles a lot of our like first contact, build rapport, try to get the deal. Um, she handles a lot of that. And then we have a bookkeeper. So I guess six, if you count me and my partner, if you don't count me and my partner, we have four. So not, not a huge team. There was a time when we weren't doing much more business than we're doing now. And we had, I think 13 or 14 people and it was absolutely bloated and overkill. I think you can easily do 1.2 million with four or five people, a hundred percent. I do not think you need a team of 10 to do 1.2 million. You just don't, you just have to be smart and efficient and, you know, make sure people are being optimized and they're in, in their lane and they're, they know what they're doing and, you know, manage the numbers and manage the KPIs and make sure there's performance KPIs. You can hundred percent do it with four people. Absolutely. We've done it with four people and that's like, including us as owners. So, um, yeah, four or five people, six tops, like you get over six and you're just, you're hiring people just to, it's more, you know, at that point, it's more of like, a just look how, look how big of a company we are kind of a thing. It's not, Six people is too much for that for that volume. So I think four or five can easily do it. Okay, next question. Michael Robertson says, I see you in Nashville. Really looking forward to it. That is not a question, but thank you, Michael. I can't wait to see you in Nashville either. It's going to be a blast. I'm excited about getting there. I'm going to be doing some cool stuff there. I've been asked to do something special. I don't know if they're talking about it yet, so I'm not going to say what it is. But um, So I'm, I've been preparing that for the last couple of weeks, and uh, I think it's going to be huge for you guys. And I'm excited about it, man. Can't wait to see you. Uh, by the way, if anybody's interested in seven-figure flipping, you can go to sevenfigureflipping.com and apply and see what it's all about. 
We only open the doors once a year for new investors. So that's not really an option. Um, but for, you know, people who are seasoned, you can get in at any time. You just go to sevenfigureflipping.com. Okay. Have you had success hiring people through services like Fiverr? I am struggling to keep full-time employees. I would not use personally, I would not use Fiverr for a full-time employee. I would use Fiverr for one of two things. And I, I do use Fiverr, Fiverr now, and I'm saying it a little bit hesitantly because I don't personally interact with anybody on Fiverr, but I believe my assistant still does work with someone on Fiverr on my behalf. But I think Fiverr is good for two things. It's good for a one-off small project, very specific small project. And they're good for doing very specific tasks, even if you have them repetitively, but you kind of have to create a new gig. And like, it's almost like you're starting a new relationship almost every time you do it. Um, I don't think I would say, hey, I need a full-time employee to do a bunch of things and I'm going to hire someone on Fiverr. I personally wouldn't do that. Um, but there are other services where you can go and you can get a little bit more like long-term uh, relationship. I don't know why I can't think of the name of the company right now. Angela, if you can help me think of that, what's the other company that I use that I've hired people off of? I can't remember now. Um, hopefully she'll put it up here for me, <laughs> putting her on, on the gun, under the gun now. Um, but there are, there are services where you can hire, you know, virtual people that are a little bit more geared toward full-time. I don't think Fiverr is the place you go, in my opinion, for a full-time, like critical job that's going to be being done in your company. Upwork. Thank you, Angela. Yeah. Upwork. I've used Upwork and hired people from Upwork. Uh, and had good, really good results. So that's where I would go if there was some function that I wanted to have handled that I needed a more on an ongoing basis, probably Upwork's a better place. Uh, but really hiring people direct, you know, from like an actual, like a you know, monster.com or, or something like that's probably where I would go to hire a full-time employee. But if you like need somebody to make a graphic for you or something like every week, Fiverr could work. Um, Upwork could be really, really effective as well. But if you need someone to like, you know, do your lead intake, like that's never going to be Fiverr. It's probably not even going to be Upwork. You need someone who's like legitimately working with within your company full-time. So be careful. Fiverr is just really good for like quick, easy, you know, no big deal kind of a things that you just don't want to handle it yourself or you don't have the skill set. but I wouldn't put tons and tons and tons of faith in Fiverr, in an ongoing, long-lasting relationship that your company depends upon. I wouldn't do that in Fiverr. Okay. Um, oh, you're struggling to keep long-time employees. I'm going to, let me address that real quick too. You know, if you're struggling to keep full-time employees, then I really, I recommend uh, a book by Jocko Willink called Extreme Ownership. Sorry, I was looking down because I was trying to remember. Extreme Ownership. And you really want to make sure you're taking a good look at yourself as a leader when you start losing, you know, when you're struggling to keep employees. I struggled to keep employees, me and my partner did, for the first year or two. And in the beginning, we were blaming the people, saying they just don't get it. They're not hard workers. They're not dedicated. They have bad attitudes, whatever, right? We were just putting a lot of labels on them to blame them. But what we ended up having to eventually come to grips with was if, if we're losing a lot of people and, and there's a lot of like, you know, turnover in our company at some point, is it them? Is it everybody else? Or is it us? And we realized it was us. It was the way we were 
hiring. It was the way we were managing or not managing that was causing us the problem. So take a look inward first, read that book by Jocko Willink called Extreme Ownership. Um, you know, it really, it's, it, it talks a lot about extreme, exactly that extreme ownership, right? Like taking ownership of everything. If people are leaving, it's your fault, right? If your company is not hitting their numbers, it's your fault. Like take ownership of everything. And if you do that as an owner, lead by example, you'll be amazed at how you, the people in your company will start adopting that same attitude. In fact, it's one of the core values of my company. It's one of the core values of seven-figure flipping. And I, I try to make it one of the core values of any company that I'm involved in because I think it's such a powerful concept of extreme ownership that you know, in a world where everyone's blaming everybody else and trying to say, it's not me, it's you, it's not me, it's them. It's, it's always somebody else's problem. It's the president, it's the police, it's the whatever. Like it's somebody else's problem. Like if the entire world, everybody, I mean, everybody, myself, everybody started taking ownership of everything that happened around or in their life, if everyone did it and everyone insisted on looking inward to try to see if they could have done something better, it'd be so much better world, right? And so, so that's the company you want to create. And if you're having trouble with employees, hire for values first, hire for skills second, like I talked about earlier, right? That's, that would be my suggestion to you. Okay. Uh, next question. Do you set new year's resolutions for yourself or your business and employees? Are you implementing any changes this year? Yes. Yes. And yes, I don't, I don't necessarily set new year's resolutions for my employees, but I set new year's resolutions or, you know, start thinking about what I want to accomplish that year personally and professionally in my businesses. There's definitely things I'm going to be changing this year, but I'll tell you one thing that I don't do. I would say I don't do a good job of, but I don't know that I care if I do this. I don't necessarily stress out that I have them in place by January 1st. Like I have a meeting tomorrow with, you know, some of some of my team, my executive assistant and some people, and we're going to talk about goals for the year, but the ones I still haven't completely nailed down exactly what I want my personal and professional goals to be at this point. And really I'm less interested personally on, I'm less interested in creating year goals as I am creating 90 day goals, because I think one of the failure modes of new year's resolutions is that the time frame is so far in the future that we lose momentum. We lose motivation, right? If you say, I want to lose 50 pounds by December. I mean, how, how critical is it for you? I mean, you'll probably get started in January for sure. Maybe February, you're really going at it, right? Going to the gym, eating right. But by March you slip up and you're like, eh, I got, you know, I got 10 months left. I, there's no need to rush here. I can, I got plenty of time. And then you don't really start thinking like seriously, seriously feeling that, that panic, like I'm not going to get to my goal probably until August, September, October, maybe November, depending on how much you procrastinate. So I think a lot of times 12 month goals get lost in the shuffle. You start losing enthusiasm for that a little bit. I think 90 day goals, you can't really slip up very much or you're in jeopardy of missing it. So if you set a 90 day goal and you have a bad week, you know, you, you just wasted a lot of time of, of your 90 days. So you can't let too much grass grow under your feet with a 90 day goal. So I'm way more focused on 90 day goals than I am on, you know, 12 month goals. Honestly, I'll make some 12 month goals, but I usually I'll make the 12 month goal and then I'll break it into 
you know, four quarters. And what do I have to do this quarter so that I'm on track in quarter two to get to my 12 month goal? That's kind of how more how I look at it. And then I really only look at my 90 day goals each day. Like when I, I wake up or, you know, some point during the day, or if I want to review my goals, I'm looking at the goals for those 90 days that I'm in. I'm not looking at what my ultimate goal is usually. Okay. Uh, next question. I think I'm just going to do one more here from Nick, unless you have a follow-up Nick, and then I'll stay with you. But Nick says, uh, direct mail marketing, postcards or letters. What do you prefer? This is a very easy one for me. I think without question, postcards. Here's why. I, I had this discussion earlier today with another uh, runway member. Um, postcards, because let me just give you a for example. Let me give you a scenario. Let's say you receive a letter, not a postcard, a letter from me at your house, Nick. And it's on like, you could tell it's like thick, kind of expensive paper. It's linen, you know, it's got a full color picture of me and my wife and my kids and my family and the quality of the fonts is just fantastic. And like, you're like, Oh my gosh, this must've cost a fortune to write this letter and send it to me. And the envelope was great. And it was overnighted, like all these things, right? Very, a lot of attention to quality, but it hits you today and nothing on earth would make you sell your house today. Like you're just not interested. You just, you're not going to sell. You just bought maybe, or this is a house you want to live in the rest of your life. Like you're never going to sell today. Okay. Now, Let's just fast forward a year. You forgot about that letter a long time ago and you have a divorce situation or a death situation, or you go bankrupt or, you know, whatever, you, you know, you just have something catastrophic happen or whatever, and you must sell your house fast. And on that day, you receive a postcard for me and it's black and white. It's sort of cheap looking. But it says, hey, I'm an investor and I want to buy your house. I'm very interested. I have cash. I can close right now. You don't have to do any repairs. Uh, I'll make this super easy for you. We'll close on the day of your choosing. Now you're interested because you need to sell and you got this message. And so what that tells you, that little, that little scenario tells you is timing is way more important than the quality of the message. Okay. It doesn't mean your message should be garbage and it doesn't mean things should look cheap or you shouldn't care about the message. Certainly care about the message, but I can tell you that message and the quality of its delivery is so much less important than when it hits the hands of the person selling the house. And so if timing and frequency is the most important thing, then we don't necessarily have to go overboard on buying nice letterhead or, or letters. Letters are more expensive than postcards. So I say buy postcards, send them twice as often as you would. Because most of us have a, a, a marketing budget of some kind. It's not infinite, right? And so if you have a limited marketing budget, whatever that is, you can get more from that money by sending postcards because they're typically half, as, half the price of a, of a letter or you know a lot less than a letter at least if it's not half. So postcards all day long, every day. I don't even think about letters anymore. Um, the only time I would send a letter is maybe if I was buying an asset that was like an apartment building, maybe then I would not send a postcard. Maybe I'd send an actual letter, put a little bit more time into it because you don't send out necessarily 50,000 letters to apartment buildings. Most of us, right? It's going to be a smaller list. Or if I'm sending a letter to 
Uh, sometimes I do marketing for buyers. Like I'm trying to look for other investors to wholesale properties to, and I might send them a letter because that's going to be a list of, you know, a few hundred, maybe a thousand people. And so that letter, the quality, because it's not necessarily about timing with them. It's about they need to, they're, they're looking for people to buy from, right? So it's not timing. It's a little bit more quality and to show that you're, you know, putting a little bit more care and effort into your correspondence. But with homeowners, you know, we don't, like I said earlier in this, in this Q and A, we're not buying from people who have all the time in the world and no urgency and they could sell or not sell. It doesn't matter to them. We're usually sending, we're sending these mail pieces and we're buying from people who need to sell now they have an urgency behind it. And if they have that urgency, it's like, if you're, you know, on fire, you don't look at the quality of the hose that sprang water on you to put the, put the fire out, right? Like you don't care if they've had it for 50 years or if it's a brand new one from Home Depot, like you don't care. You just need the water to put out the flames. And that's kind of what we are. We're water putting out the flames of whatever's happening to that seller in their life. So they don't typically question the delivery mode, the qual I've never had to my knowledge, I don't go on all the appointments, obviously, but I've never heard of, nor have I ever experienced a seller criticizing the postcard and saying it's cheap or unimpressive, or, you know, I would have bought from you sooner, but I just, these cards are horrible. Like it just doesn't happen. It doesn't. So uh, postcards, long answer to a very short question. Okay. That is it for today, guys. We're going to wrap it up. I appreciate you being here, uh, Nick and Bob. Guys, thanks for being here and being live with me. I really appreciate that. Uh, I will be back again uh, next week so you can tune in. Um, but I'm, I'm happy that you guys did that. And I can't wait to see you next time. And also uh, go and check out 7-Figure Investor, the word 7figureinvestor.com. And let's work together this year. All right, guys, we'll see you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.